Welcome back to Highlighted, the All Sports Culture Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, as you can see. It is former number two overall pick, Ryan Leaf. And Ryan, a lot of people, you know, they talk about all the tough situations you've been in your career, but let's not forget your incredible resume. I mean, number two overall pick, incredible college quarterback. You're now the host of a podcast. You've done some great things. So we just want to ask you a little bit about that. Um, first off, we are going to start off with, you know, the question that everyone is um, – you know, it's, it's pretty relevant right now. So six years ago, you were released from prison and you didn't really know what your future was going to be, but you've made an incredible comeback, obviously. So what do you want to, what do you want people to know about that? How do you want to set an example for other people? And obviously you can talk in depth as much as you want. You can be in depth or you can be just, uh, doesn't have to go in depth if you don't want. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, ironically enough, today is the anniversary six years today. Mm -hmm. Um, I walked out of a prison cell and uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like. I had uh, no money. I had no prospects. Uh, I had a credit score of like 500. You know, ESPN and SiriusXM weren't waiting for me out there to give me jobs that I now have. Um, but I had hope, and I found that hope while I was in there being a service to men who were in the worst possible place you can imagine. Uh, and were open and, and strong enough to be vulnerable and transparent about something. And they, and, and what that was is they couldn't read and they, they asked for help and uh, in a place where you're not supposed to show vulnerability. So it, it was a significant shift and change in my perspective and the way I thought about things. And uh, that day I got out, I just, you know, I'm, I had a different perspective and I still didn't have any idea what was going to happen, but uh, I just started trudging along uh, this path where I was just going to do the next right thing. And six years later, continuing to do that has, has really given uh, me quite a life, uh, a peaceful and chaotic life. And that's, I think that's all I had ever been searching for. And it allows me to do something in, in the sporting world, which is, which is great because I love football, you know, and for the longest time I didn't because I it felt so toxic. Uh, my time in the NFL and how I behaved and performed and all of that. And I felt like a failure for some reason. Uh, I don't know how anybody could ever feel like a failure having played in the NFL, but I did. I was told that a lot by a lot of people that it, were meaningless. And, uh, um, and I let it affect me so negatively. So I've just kind of taken that back. And, and, and these six years have, have allowed me to do that. And just super grateful for what I went through. And uh, I love the fact that I have this platform now where if somebody's listening to your podcast right now they, and they're struggling, they, they know that there's a solution and, and, and everything's going to be okay if they are willing to make these kind of changes and surrender and accept help. Yeah, for sure. And obviously everyone here at ASC is really proud of the journey that you've gone through and obviously the, you know, progress they've made but I do want to transition to football now and as we were doing research behind this we and I just want to clarify with this was it true that you were considering playing linebacker at the University of Miami I wasn't considering it I don't necessarily know if they were considering it either I don't know where that story is has gotten legs from but Dennis Erickson was the head coach and uh 
when I got down there, you know, he made it very, he was really honest, which is, I think is great as a recruiter. And when you're trying to make a decision on where you're going to go spend the next four years of your life, or really who you're going to be the rest of your life. Uh, he was honest with me. He said, you know, he was, he said that if an NFL job came open, he was going to look at it hard. And he did, he took a, the job at the Seattle Seahawks a year later. And he also was honest with me about what their recruiting coordinator thought uh, would be a better position for me. And it was tight end. So, and I assume that that story is, is generated buzz because, you know, tight end linebacker are kind of the same. Um, and, and the U has produced some amazing uh, tight ends. And I'm, I'm sure I would have been a, uh, another in the long line of greats there, but quarterback was something I'd always done. It's what I always wanted to do. And uh, luckily for me, I made the best possible decision I could. And, and that's to commit to Washington state. And we, you know, we did something that hadn't been done there in 67 years. We, we won a PAC 10 championship and we played for the national championships in the Rose bowl. And that's, that's still to this day, the best decision I think I've ever made. So I do want to quickly ask you about that. And like you just said, in 1997, it's great season, obviously. And you guys faced off against Michigan in the Rose Bowl, like you said. You didn't pull out like you wanted to, but just, uh, you know, Michigan was ranked number one, and it was just a really good battle. But could you just reflect on that season at all and just what you took away from that? Well, yeah, it was the absolute greatest uh competitive season of my life. I won a state championship in high school. Um, and, and that was special, but no one, no one picked us to, we were picked, I think seventh out of 10th when the season started. Um, the amount of seniors that were on that team, the, the friends that I had made, I mean, it was that group of, that group of, of players, that team was special and our coaches were special and, it, you know, things come together like they're supposed to. It just, it just happens. And uh, that was what, that was what was meant to be that year. And I got to celebrate it with some of the best friends of my life, um, doing what we loved and doing it together. So I think that that's what makes it even more special, even though we lost the Rose Bowl. You know, Coach Price, who was my coach, always tells people when people talk about that game, he said, we didn't lose it. We just ran out of time. And there's controversy at the end of that game, uh, two seconds on the clock, and I spike it, um, and the the time runs off the clock. We were at the 26-yard line going in on Michigan. Uh, I would have loved to have had one final play, you know, but we didn't get it. But Coach likes to say we just we didn't lose. We ran out of time, and I and I I'm I'm all on board with that with him. Yeah, I, I like that. Ran out of time. That's like I'm going to use that one. <laughs> But um, yeah, so you were, you were, let's go back to, you were talking about your time in the NFL was a little toxic and you weren't a huge fan of football, but you've come around to it recently. Um, so I was just reading up and I saw you were talking about Baker Mayfield and you kind of uh, compared the way he deals with the media to the way you dealt with the media a little bit. And do you want to just speak about, has Baker grown in any way since you've said that, or do you like his growth or is he still, you know, not really has figured out yet? Well, I think he's a competitor which is what I was. So when I, when I see some behavioral issues, you know, I always tend to take a look in the mirror. And when I do that, you know, I'm the one looking back at me. So, um, you know, I make some comparisons that when I did that with Baker, it was, you know, a year ago, he'd yelled at a reporter kind of at the end of a, a session. 
Um, so I was just kind of comparing, Hey, you know, there's, there's some similar behavior, which is, can be a red flag in some situations. He's much more uh, successful than I ever was as a professional quarterback. And he continues to do so. Uh, and I felt like he was going to have a, a better, um, more developed year this year. And it has, you know, they've, they've won eight games. Um, you know, he hasn't necessarily lit the world on fire, but it's hard to do. I mean, it's hard to do that in a, in a league where you got the likes of Patrick Mahomes running around making plays like he is. But the success that they've had, his maturity, his development, I think is huge. And uh, when we talk about that, when, when, when we're asked questions and, and we're analysts, you know, I try to be honest. People may not like it, um, but in no way, shape, or form am I ever comparing myself to anybody else. There's just similarities that are for discussion points. Uh, you know, I, I think that too many times with the word bust and, um, you know, terrible and, and things like that, none of that's true. Uh, it's words that uh, other people use and journalists sometimes to make a point. And it's, it's nowhere near. Baker Mayfield is the first pick in the NFL draft and uh, will have a successful career it will all determine it will all be dependent on him and his ability to be open-minded and and develop uh, when when criticized yeah for sure um so kind of i guess we're moving all over the place but since we're we talked about the nfl and then after obviously your nfl career you transitioned to a quarterbacks coach role at west texas a&m um i think it was three years you did that for two or three years um, but what did you learn from that experience? Have you ever thought about coaching again in the future or do you just prefer your current role as an analyst right now? Well, I, I, I loved being able to teach, uh, young men, the position of quarterback and then see them apply it and be successful. I mean, you know, the, the three quarterbacks I coached at West Texas led the nation in passing and, uh, were special and all three of them played professionally from a division two school. One was even drafted in the sixth round. So I'm extremely proud of my time there. Unfortunately, I was, I was a mess mentally, uh, uh, physically. I was a drug addict and I took advantage of these young men on the team who were injured. Uh, and so for those reasons, I don't think I could ever coach again simply because I don't think an athletic director should ever give me an opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I victimized, um, kids who looked up to me, who wanted to be like me. Um, and I, I, I also don't know if I have the patience to, to do that job anymore. Um, uh, it's excruciating coaches that continue to do it now at the highest level, get paid a lot of money, but it's years and years of scraping by on uh, no money, uh, doing all the, the grunt work and everything like that. It's, it's a grind and those that continue to do it are, are, are pretty special individuals. Yeah. I mean, true. I mean, now let's move on to your role as an analyst and we've had a number of people on this podcast that have covered the PAC 12. We've had Max Brown, we've had Mikey Am, and they've kind of, I think they were on before the PAC 12 resumed so they had like their two cents to put in before the season came up. And, you know, Max had his like his bias show through about SC, obviously. And so I was wondering, 
your outlook on the Pac-12 so far this season. Obviously, Max has been correct so far, but uh, just what have you seen so far? What have you taken in? What have you liked to have seen? And uh, do you have any, like, hot takes you have about the Pac-12 this season? Well, you know, I think they they were the most hesitant uh, around this uh, pandemic, which I, I applaud them for. Um, the fact that we're playing, uh, trying to play and are playing college football during a worldwide pandemic is absolutely the most asinine thing I can imagine. But we're, we're playing it. And it's because college football sits on a house of cards. It's like the housing market in 2008. It, it just bad mortgage after bad mortgage. If, if they were to not play a season, like, like athletic departments would have absolutely disappeared. That's how bad of a, a situation it is. So it had to be done. The Pac-12 went about it the best they could in terms of limiting exposure and hopefully not spreading it to their communities and things like that. And the testing was a very important part of that. And they waited until they could get the game-changing testing uh, that allowed them to come back. And that's why it's been so difficult to play games week in, week out, because 18 to 22-year-olds are going to do whatever they want to do after they go and win the big game. They're going to go out to the parties. They're not going to quarantine and things like that. Stanford has been about as good as anybody. They have not had a positive test since July. And they're the ones being forced out of their home county because the county of Santa Clara has been so decimated by it. So they're now actually up in Washington and Oregon the next two weeks uh, trying to play games because they deserve. They deserve to get the chance to play games because they've worked so hard to, to do the right thing. Um, as for the as for the, the country in terms of the Pac-12, the committee just doesn't think the Pac-12 is worth worth a lick. And it, we've seen it through the the, the rankings because uh, Oregon didn't deserve to be 15 a week ago, and they certainly don't deserve to be 23rd right now, but because the committee placed them there and because of the recruiting they've done, the, chance, the fact that they won conference title last year and won the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin, they got the, they got the benefit of the doubt. And then Oregon State, who is a much improved team, went out and were more physical and beat them uh, on Friday after the Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving Day. Um, not enough credits being given to Colorado, who's 3-0, uh, Washington, who's 3-0, and USC, who's 3-0. USC is ranked 20th and is probably the third best undefeated team there. I think Colorado uh, is probably the best team in the, in the conference now in terms of who they've played, who they've beaten. And the fact that they went out and scheduled a non-conference opponent in about 48 hours and won that game a very good team, San Diego State, who runs a, a crazy-looking defense. So I, I'm upset that the USC-Colorado game didn't happen a week ago because they were all, both undefeated. It would have given us a really good look at who the South champion was going to be. But we're not going to get that. Um, I, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be a part of the college football playoff. That's disappointing. There's still a, a, a .00001 chance. I, I, I can see if USC were able to go undefeated as a 6-0 and Pac-12 champion because, you know, Ohio State may be a 6-0 and Big Ten champion, and how are you going to make those comparisons? You know, that, that if you're willing to put one in, you better be willing to put the other one in, especially if chalk holds, Alabama wins out, Notre Dame beats Clemson again, and you're looking at uh, undefeated other conference champions uh, to be placed in that playoff. So 
that might be my hot, the hottest take I got from the Pac-12 is that they still have a, a, a shot and maybe a really, really tiny shot at the Pac-12 or at the college football playoff scenario. But uh, uh, I'm glad they played. I'm glad they continued to get through it because this is going to be a, a tremendous developmental year for the Pac-12. Eligibility does not count against any player that played this year. So young men who have played well can really utilize this as a, a developmental year and come back a year from now with almost an extra spring practice under their belts, except they got to compete against real live teams for six weeks. So yeah. I did see on your Twitter, you did say that the uh, current rankings that just came out were absurd. And as someone who, in me, I always seem to have a problem with the college football rankings as well. Um, was it just those Pac-12 kind of things that you touched base on? Or were there other no. like big problems that you want to address right now that you have a problem with? Well, Georgia, right? How, does, how is Georgia eighth? It, I mean, they have no wins over anybody. Auburn's their best win, and Auburn is no good, right? They've been trashed by Florida and Alabama. They're getting more credit for losing to really good teams than they are for anything else. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. You look at, uh, um, you know, BYU. BYU probably deserves to be a lot higher than 13th. It really does. Uh, they are impressive. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't think they – you know, should be in the college football playoff, but they deserve to be higher than 13th. North Carolina, North Carolina's lost to Virginia and Florida State, and they got just trounced in the second half by Notre Dame on last Saturday, and they moved up two spots. So I don't know how that works. I don't know how Oregon is higher than Colorado, who's not even in it, because they have the same amount of wins. Colorado doesn't have any losses. doesn't make any sense to me. So Wisconsin's three and one. How are they 16th in the country? I mean, what the committee chair talks about um, doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Head to head means something one week for one team, but head to head doesn't mean something for another team another week. It's, it's the committee's just like you and me. Uh, what we think is what we think except they have the power because they're the 13 people in the room that are making the decisions for every college football team. I think Notre Dame's the number one team in the country. People think I'm absolutely insane. I think Florida's the number four team in the country, even though they lost head-to-head -to, -head to Texas A&M. It's what I'm seeing. I think they're better right now. It's just – it is what it is. If I was the one in that room, that's how I would go about put, placing these things. And uh, the committee sees things differently, and they like their brands. They like their brands and they do things down the line, down the top 25, that increases the odds of some of these teams. Uh, they continue to keep Indiana at 12 and it's going to be hard because they lost their, their, their you know, all-American candidate quarterback. You'd like to see them win out. So it would bolster Ohio State's record, but it, you know, it may not do that. Other than that, what is, what is, what kind of win does Ohio State have that gives them the say at 4-0, they belong as, as the fourth team in the country. I mean, there's a team right behind them that's 8-1. and one. They played double the amount of games. So how the committee did not decide to uh, expand the playoff this year in this unprecedented time is going to hurt them because they're going to look foolish and silly if they put a team in with four 
or five games and another team with 11. Uh, there's, there's not enough data for them to make a, a qualified decision uh, that's going to appease everybody. So it would not hurt to have eight teams in the, in the conversation this year because of the year that we're having. But rather, they've just they got, they got their blinders on and they continue to, to set rigid boundaries that, that don't work for everybody involved. So, yeah. right, Sam, you go. Okay. So, back to what you're saying, how you believe that Notre Dame is the best team in the country. I kind of have to contest you on your Ian Book for Heisman uh, campaign. So, did you want to defend that real quick? Well, I just think that he's, he's absolutely been the best player in the country this year. Um, he's the best leader. Um, even in the 12 to seven win over Louisville, where everybody says, Hey, a Heisman trophy winner doesn't win 12 to seven over Louisville. I mean, well, he found a way to win. If you remember Johnny Manziel's year, they lost a couple games. Kyle Trask, who everybody thinks is the leader in the clubhouse right now, lost to Texas A&M. He didn't get it done. And Mac Jones would probably be the front runner for me if he were the best player even on his team. But Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, I feel, are, are even better. They, they make Mac Jones better. So I think that, that Ian Book is, is every bit uh, in the Heisman Trophy conversation. I didn't say he was necessarily the, the winner or should be the winner, but I, I think he's right at the top. And the fact that he's not getting any consideration right now, that's what's the disappointing part of it because – the win against Clemson and how he, how he went about doing it was the shift in the change everybody wanted to see. He's lost three games in his entire career at Notre Dame, and they play a hell of a schedule year in, year out. If they beat Clemson for a second time, watch for his name to be right at the forefront of that because I, I think he's deserved of it. Yeah, and it's like, to just kind of prove your point, it's also like Notre Dame, I think everyone has the narrative of them that like that they can't beat these big teams just because of losing to Georgia in years past, losing to Alabama way back ago in the uh, national championship and losing yep. to Clemson. But they broke that narrative this year. And Brian Kelly said multiple times he believes this is the best Notre Dame team that he's ever had. And look, as I just think that Notre Dame – especially this year is getting very discredited. And to your point, I do think that book and the company should be getting more credit. Well, I mean, you know, Clemson gave them uh, an out with the fact that Trevor Lawrence was out because of, of COVID protocol and that the defense was decimated. Um, so I understand that I do, but still to go out and get it done uh, is impressive and they're going to get a shot to defend it, right? They're going get, to get a shot to play against them again. And, and I think they've done enough this year. What they did in the second half against North Carolina, who was a juggernaut offensively for people. People were talking about how Sam Howell and that offense was going to show everybody truly what Notre Dame was. And, and a lot of people were picking North Carolina to win that game. And what Notre Dame did at making adjustments at halftime, which is what all college football is about, and shutting down an offense that averaged so many yards a game to 298 and shutting them out, without their best defensive player in the back, back end there, and the safety was removed from targeting. That, that was, that's the kind of national championship pedigree you want to see. Exactly what Alabama did after that close game with Ole Miss. They've tightened up. I'd love to see a Notre Dame-Alabama national championship because I know that Notre Dame has been dealing with that 42-14 to 14 debacle from years ago in, the, in one of the final BCS 
championships then they want a chance and brian kelly learned a lot from that he learned that he had to recruit differently he had to get a different set of guys up front on both the offense and defensive side and he's done it because this year's team defensive front and offensive front are really good yeah so uh talking about another college quarterback college quarterback last year obviously to attack of Iloa, you've had you had an interesting take on him that we uh, when we were reading up on you, we saw you said he wasn't a top five QB going into the draft. Do you, have you changed your mind watching him play a little bit, or do you still think he's not really transferring over to the NFL? Well, I, I probably can walk it back a little bit, um, but I mean, you know, there's still a lot he needs to show me. Um, his first win, I think he threw for hardly no yards that defense is really good and and he got a little ahead of himself after a couple wins and said he thought this was going to be much harder and they went to Denver and Denver made it very hard on him enough that coach Flores had to put him on the bench and let Fitzmagic take over he hurt himself in practice last week and had to miss another game this week so you can't you can't tell a lot from what the resume has shown yet he's an unbelievable young man he work, he'll work hard uh, for you. Uh, he's as accurate uh, as I've seen in a college quarterback. I just I don't know if, if he's a future franchise quarterback. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he's on, along the lines of Marcus Mariota where he's a great leader, does just enough to kind of get to the playoffs, but is not the franchise quarterback that they need. Uh, like Joe Burrow has become and Justin Herbert uh, has become in such a, a limited amount of time. Both of those guys are, are going to be guys that play in this league for years and years and years and are capable, confident, and, and good quarterback. Yeah, speaking of Herbert and uh, Burrow, we know you're a big Herbert guy. Who would you take moving forward with their careers, Herbert or Joe? Which would you rather have? I, you can't. You can't. You can't put a, a – a slash between those two. Uh, if you're willing to take one over the other, then there's something wrong with you. You, you figure out a way to get them both. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, I can't make that choice because they're both unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, the only difference I would say is that Joe plays for Cincinnati and systematically that has been a, a black hole for quarterbacks where, you know, the chargers, since my time there has had Doug Flutie, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, and now Justin Herbert. The quarterback hasn't been the problem in, uh, in LA. They've developed, they've gotten good, they've gotten to the playoffs, they've gotten to AFC championships. That's where I would give Justin maybe the, 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 the edge ahead here because in Cincinnati, quarterbacks just, they go there to die. They may have successful careers. Andy Dalton went to the playoffs a bunch of times and they just, Got rid of him, right? You know, we're not good enough. Uh, systematically, there's a problem uh, in Cincinnati, but hopefully there are quarterbacks that come along once in a generation that change the environment. Peyton Manning was that guy. Peyton Manning went to Indianapolis, changed the environment. Patrick Mahomes gets to Kansas City, changes the environment. There are a limited amount of guys that can do that. Uh, I think Joe Burrow is one of them. We'll see if the organization uh, follows suit uh, they didn't protect him up front, and sure enough, he he blows his knee out a couple of weeks ago. That's that's on Cincinnati. You got to protect your your franchise guy, and if you're not, it became a liability 
Um, and it costs their, their future franchise quarterback the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's kind of all for the highlight. Is there anything else you, two, you three want to add before we head off? No, I think that's it. Uh, right. Ryan, wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. And uh, everyone that's listening right now, make sure you go check out the podcast if you're into the Pac-12 or college football in general. But that's going to be it for the Highlight All Sports Culture Podcast. And we'll be back with the next episode. Yeah, thank you, well, Ryan. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Yep. Uh, keep working hard. Keep doing what you're doing. If this is the kind of line of work you want to do. Uh, I had great mentors, Kirk Herbstreet, Joel Klatt, uh, Brock Heward, uh, Greg McElroy, all kind of took me under their wing. Um, they didn't owe me anything. Um, they didn't need to do it. But be able to ask. Ask for help. Uh, accept help. Uh, I'm always learning. I always want to be better. Uh, Dan Orlovsky has been a, a big mentor of mine when I started working for, for ESPN because he's just so comfortable and is so smart when it comes to comes to football and uh, just always, always keep trying to get better. Uh, and if there's anybody out there that's struggling, uh, I know with COVID, being isolated, being away from family, friends, doing the things you always loved, like going to the gym, hiking, all these things, always know that uh, you can ask for help. It's the strongest thing you'll ever do. I'm here for you. You can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Ryan D. Leaf. That's how you guys actually contacted me through Instagram and, uh, and ask for help. And, and I'll always respond and I'll always be there uh, to make sure that no one is as miserable as I once was and there is a solution. So thank you guys for having me. I appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. I'm straight. On. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to do that.